0: Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, Graham Dwyer loses his appeal. It means the Fox Rock architect who was found guilty of the gruesome murder of 36-year-old Elaine O'Hara will remain in prison serving a life sentence. I'm Kevin Doyle and today on the Indo-Daily I'm joined by legal affairs editor Shane Phelan to take us through the ruling. Shane, that about sums it up, doesn't it? Graeme Dwyer will spend the rest of his life behind bars now.
1: He will, unless he uh, mounts a further appeal to the Supreme Court and is successful there. But he'll have to convince the Supreme Court that he has an issue to raise, which is of general public importance for them to, uh, to hear that case. And at this stage, we don't know if he is going to appeal or not. But you have to say the Court of Appeal ruling against him today was pretty emphatic.
0: And we'll get into, Shane, all the details of today's ruling because it was quite clear where the Court of Appeal stood on all of this. But before we do that, can you briefly give us a recap of the murder of Elaine O'Hara and the subsequent court case that found Graeme Dwyer guilty of murder?
1: Yeah, so uh, Graeme Dwyer, originally from Cork, living in in Dublin in, in Fox Rock and working as an architect, uh, a married man. Nothing uh, particularly uh, unusual about him on the outside, but he had a secret, a dark enough secret as it turns out. He was into sadomasochism and pretty, what a lot of people would view as as some pretty uh, extreme uh, sexual conduct. He got involved in a secret relationship with Elaine O'Hara. She was a a childcare worker, I suppose a vulnerable person with mental health difficulties. This relationship that they had was basically, was largely kept secret, you know, between them. She went missing 11 years ago. No trace of her remains were found until 22 months later. They were found in a forest in Killikey in the the Dublin mountains. It was a real murder mystery for the guards. You know, she had been, the last time she'd been spotted was in Shangana, which is quite a distance away. So big questions as to how she ended up where she did. I suppose a, a mixture of of coincidence and really, really good detective work led them to uh, to find Graeme Dwyer. There was, it was an unusually uh, hot summer in 2013 and the water levels was quite low at a reservoir in County Wicklow, the Vartory Reservoir. A number of items were spotted in there and they were recovered by some anglers and later by some guards. And these were linked to Elaine O'Hara. You, there were uh, uh, mobile phones, there were sex toys, there were a key with um, uh, rewards cards, Dun Stores reward cards, Apple Green rewards cards on it. So they were able to have a look at the those reward cards and see that they were belonged to. to Elaine O'Hara. So by extension, all of the other things that were had been found there, um, it, it looked as if Elaine O'Hara's killer had dumped all of those things there. And where?
0: we got to today was in that trial where he was convicted, a big part of the evidence was what they call metadata, basically tracing different phones and Linking them to Graham Dwyer and putting him in closer contact with Elaine O'Hara.
1: Yeah, so uh, there was a number of phones uh, pulled out of of the river uh, um, or out of the reservoir. Sorry, one of these ended up being described as the master phone, another being described as the slave phone. Now uh, Graham Dwyer never admitted to owning these. He denied that he used them or that Elaine O'Hara had used them. Using metadata, it's pretty astonishing what the guards were able to do using metadata. They they, they were able to plot the movements of those phones at various times. And what they noticed was that um, when you correlated the movements of one particular phone, which was, which the guards believed was being used to contact Elaine O'Hara, it correlated with the movements of Grand work phone. So the two phones were in the same place, which led Gardie to believe that the same person obviously had control over the two phones. Uh, and that not, was, the collection
0: of that evidence and the use of it in court is what Graeme Dwyer's appeal was largely, it was a number of reasons, but that was what it was largely based yeah,
1: on. Yeah, that was kind of, I suppose, one that the, the the main one that I suppose has been hogging the headlines. Um, the reason why this formed such a part of his appeal, I suppose, goes back to uh, the law under which uh, the guardy seized um, uh, his metadata. So, Uh, That law uh, was the 2011 Communications Act, and that was brought in on foot of um, an EU directive. But uh, we had a situation in 2014, so a year after uh, Eleanor Harris' remains are found and a year after uh, Groundwater is is charged. We had a situation in 2014 where the Court of Justice for the EU in a case uh, involving Digital Rights Ireland, they basically struck down that directive as being invalid. So you had the European Directive, which was the basis for the Irish law being ruled to be invalid. Um, Fast forward then to 2015, and we have the trial, and at the trial, uh, Graham Dwyer's uh, defense team basically say, look, um, this evidence is inadmissible. You have evidence obtained under a law which sprung from a directive which has been found to be invalid the evidence was left in by the trial judge. So this was the big, big issue that Graham Dwyer wanted to raise in his criminal conviction. And he went to great lengths to uh, use this issue. He took a separate case to the High Court where he challenged the Irish law, which actually hadn't been struck down, even though the directive, the EU directive behind it had been struck down. He won that case, it got referred to the Supreme Court following forming an appeal by the state. And the Supreme Court itself referred it back onto the CJEU, which found largely along the lines that it had found before.
0: So he had a lot of big legal wins along the way, but
1: none of them which
0: got him either a retrial or to be released. And today the Court of Appeal basically said, yes, but at the time the guards acted in good faith, they worked within Irish law as best they could, and they've thrown out his appeal or his his seeking of a retrial. Yeah,
1: there's a couple of parts to it of what they're saying. So um, the Court of Appeal said the guards were blameless in how they conducted the investigation. So despite whatever U- European rulings came afterwards, striking down the law, the guards, uh, they acted under the relevant Act of the Deorachtas uh, that was there in, in seizing the data. And this law enjoyed the presumption of constitutionality at the time. So the guards were blameless in that regard. Second issue is that um, subsequent to uh, Dwyer's conviction, there was a very, very significant Supreme Court ruling, a case called JC. And in this case, the Supreme Court decided that um, even if evidence is obtained in breach of somebody's constitutional rights, that evidence can still be admissible where the illegality in obtaining the evidence was inadvertent. If you were to apply that ruling and that test to this case, which is something that Graham Dwyer's uh, legal team raised during the appeal, um, uh, what would the outcome be? And the Court of Appeal basically decided that if the JC test had been around and had been performed at Graham Dwyer's trial, then um, the result would have been the same. The evidence would have been admitted. And that goes back to the earlier point there about the guards being blameless in the conduct of the investigation. They were simply operating under the law as it was at the time. There was no subterfuge, there was no sleight of hand uh, in in how they uh, conducted the investigation. Yeah,
0: so basically the trial would have been the trial. The the, the course of history hasn't been changed by the legal ruling since. There were a number of other reasons, lesser reasons you could argue perhaps, Shane, that he had his appeal. One was that he had taken issue with the judge's facial expressions.
1: Yeah, so there was a particularly, I suppose, what it w- was described as a critical stage in the evidence where it was alleged the judge had glared at him and shook his head, you know, this in a disapproving fashion, I, I, I presume. And the Court of Appeal kind of listened to this and, and pretty much dismissed it w- without um, too much explanation. They basically said that, look, It's desirable that a judge should maintain a poker face if possible, but that's sometimes not going to be possible. This was a case with very difficult evidence, and it was very difficult to avoid. It would would have been very difficult to avoid some sort of display of emotion. Also, the judge, whatever facial expression the judge gave, and there's a dispute as to whether there was any facial expression from the judge at all. Whatever facial expression he gave, the judge was at pains to point out to the jury that it was for them to decide the case and they had to do so on the evidence and only on the evidence. So regardless of whether the judge was glaring or yawning or anything at all, the it shouldn't have influenced. And he said this on a number of occasions. Uh,
0: and finally, Shane, the other point, which I think is worth mentioning is he had argued that videos played during the trial shouldn't have been played, and they were videos of Dwyer himself engaged in sexual acts.
1: Yeah, this was one of his stronger points. So you had this uh, scenario where several videos were found on a USB drive, and these showed Graham Dwyer involved in in sexual acts with Elaine O'Hara and a number of other unidentified women. And they were quite distressing, the videos. He was shown either stabbing or pretending to stab a number of the women. The defense team argued that the jury shouldn't be shown the videos, that they'd have a visceral reaction to them and that it would be preferable if a narrative or a description of what was in the videos was read to them instead. And the trial judge rejected that. And um, during the appeal, counsel for the DPP said, look, you can't have a situation where, you know, real evidence is being diluted and veiled, you know, they have to see what the evidence is. And the Court of Appeal basically agreed with it. They said that, look, they did a weighing up exercise, the probative value of the footage versus the prejudicial value of it. And they found that the probative value outweighed the prejudicial value.
0: And finally, Shane, then, so the Court of Appeal is now over. It would be quite a jump for him to get to the Supreme Court, do you feel? Is this the end of the road, probably, for Graeme Dwyer and his
1: his bids, bid for freedom? Uh, I've learned long ago it's it's foolish to predict what the end of the road will be in a case like this, but it is a fairly emphatic judgment against him. But he's been determined, um, any man that goes to the High Court, Supreme Court, CJ, you know, he has all the time in the world now, and if he wants to fill some of that time, then he may well choose to do it by trying to challenge in the Supreme Court, too.
0: Jane Phelan, thank you very much for walking us through that. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode was produced by Tabitha Monaghan with sound by John Smith. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review.